0: Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show.
1: This year, we're finally getting that epic game of quarterback musical chairs that we were promised last year. Remember, 2021 was all that hype, but not much movement. 2022, on the other hand, is total chaos. Russell Wilson to Denver. Aaron Rodgers back to Green Bay. Tom Brady to retirement and back. Carson Wentz to Washington, Mitchell Trubisky to Pittsburgh, Deshaun Watson to court, and then to Cleveland. And yesterday, there were three more decisions. The Colts send a third-round pick to Atlanta for Matt Ryan, which means a couple of things. Let's start right there. The Colts are going to start a different week one starting quarterback for like the billionth year in a row. And now there is an opening for a starter in the ATL. Except that was filled in about 60 minutes when the Falcons went with Marcus Mariota. And now that it's clear that the Saints are not going to get to Sean Watson, they made their move yesterday and they re-signed Jameis Winston. So that's two former number one picks overall and a number two, making decisions all within about an hour of one another. So if you can't tell, that game of musical chairs is getting close to a finish. So now what are we left with? like a chair and a half, and at least two guys, Baker Mayfield and Jimmy Garoppolo, and they're still playing. Both those guys want new teams, but there aren't too many teams that want them. Indy didn't. Neither did Atlanta. So what are we down to? Carolina and possibly Seattle. The Panthers are desperate for a quarterback, but how badly do they want Baker or Jimmy? And if they've got Sam Darnold and they don't want Baker or Jimmy, what's that say about Baker or Jimmy? Seattle has got Drew Locke. So it seems hard to imagine that Frisco would trade Jimmy to a division rival, right? So do they really want Baker? Do they feel like Baker is a big enough upgrade over Locke? And again, what's that say about Baker if he's not considered an upgrade over Darnold or Locke? And what about Jimmy? Does he end up just staying with the 49ers? After all, the guy did take them to an NFC Championship game with a busted shoulder. His teammates do love him. Or do the Giants or Eagles want to jump back in? I guess what I'm getting at is this. The Colts were not interested in Mayfield or Garoppolo. They saw Matt Ryan as an upgrade over both of them. And you know what? They're right about that. They are right about that, and it is going to be a little bit weird seeing Matt Ryan rocking the shoe. Then again, watching the Colts the last few years has been all about getting used to seeing different guys rocking the shoe. They're going to have a different week one starter for the sixth straight year. I mean, that is insane. I mean, you have to do what you have to do, and I've always said that it's a quarterback league. Either you have one or you don't. Either you... Have one, or you better get one if you don't. No team proves that more than the Colts. They're always looking for one. They know what I'm saying. (laughs) Trust me. They're trying their asses off to get a starter that they can count on. Like, they really believe they're one starting quarterback away from a Super Bowl. Now, to me, that's obviously not the case. Unless Pinky in his prime is walking through that door. Or an Andrew Luck in his prime is walking through that door. The problem is, neither of those things were happening. Pinky is like 60, and Luck got sick of getting his kidney smashed. But since then, check the revolving door. Jacoby Brissett, Phillip Rivers, Carson Wentz, now Matt Ryan. Some guys they knew were not going to last forever. Some guys hoped it, or they hoped that would last forever. And one guy, Carson Wentz, they got sick of before he even played a single game for him. What I'm saying is this. Do not think for a second that Matt Ryan is not an upgrade over Carson Wentz. He is. He is. I know it's been pretty fashionable to bash Ryan for a while, and I know he's older, but here's the thing about Matt Ryan compared to Carson Wentz. Matt Ryan isn't Carson Wentz. There is your upgrade. Just by not being the other guy makes it an automatic upgrade. You're not going to be reading anything like this from The Athletic. After Wentz gets dealt or was dealt, quote, as for the Colts, the issues with Wentz stretch back to before the season began, one source said, and over the course of the year, some grew frustrated at what they deemed a lack of leadership, a resistance to hard coaching and a reckless style of play, which had a role in several close losses this year, end of quote. You're never going to hear that about Matt Ryan. Like, I don't care how old this guy is. I don't care how many times he got sacked last year. He's not going to show up with a, quote, lack of leadership, a resistance to hard coaching, and reckless play. You're not going to have to worry about this guy being a dumbass or lazy or whatever else the Colts thought of Wentz. Ryan is a guy that you can trust. Now, I'm not going to go as far as to say he's the second coming of Peyton Manning or Andrew Luck but the guy did throw for nearly 4,000 yards last season with an all-time terrible roster. The guy can still play some ball, which brings me to the Atlanta Falcons and their offseason because (laughs) Atlanta has had a pretty horrific offseason. Their best receiver gets busted for betting on Falcons games. Fail clowns. Alanda. Fail clowns. Fail clowns. This fail clown is out for the season. Another receiver left for Tampa Bay, their leading tackler and pass rusher gone as well. Then they go all in trying to get the defendant of 22 lawsuits, and they whiff, they miss on that, and then they end up pissing on the face of their franchise in the process, and now they have to get rid of him too. And only then, only then do they finally get around to hitting the reset button. And only then do they get around to finally admitting, we are rebuilding. And in getting rid of him the way they did, they're taking a $40 million cap hit. If that sounds big, it's because it is big. It's the biggest cap hit in NFL history. More than $7 bucks more than the previous worst cap hit, which was, wait for it, Carson Wentz. They had the fourth pick in the draft last year, but instead of using it on a quarterback, they went with Kyle Pitts. I mean, don't get me wrong, really talented dude, but pretty tough to maximize a tight end if you do not have anybody who can throw it to him. So, the Falcons had one of the all-time worst rosters last year, and it's going to be even worse this year. And yeah, I know, I know, they brought in Marcus Mariota, and that he and Arthur Smith worked together in Tennessee, but what about that? Was that not the year that Mariota lost his starting job to Ryan Tannehill? So what's this about? A reunion in Orlando because there's familiarity? But it wasn't like those were the good old days for Marcus, right? The Falcons winning seven games last year was incredible. The Falcons winning three games this year will be a miracle. Back to Indy for a minute. I'm not saying it's a permanent fix. Far from it. But as far as Band-Aids go, I do like it. Wentz opened up a massive wound in that team. And Ryan's the kind of guy that if he can't close it, he can at least stop the bleeding. In the meantime, the fail clowns are bleeding out altogether. So this little game of musical chairs is about to stop. And the question is, where is Baker going to end up? Where does Baker sit down? Where does Jimmy G sit down? Then what? And you know what? Like I always say, I have not been giving myself enough credit lately. Because none of you do. So it's up to me to give myself credit. And I have not been giving myself enough credit lately. So credit to me, for real. Congrats to me for doing an entire take on Matt Ryan without mentioning a Super Bowl collapse not once credit to me for that how you like me now tell me how my ass tastes nothing not once not a single mention of 28 to 3 not a single reference to them having their foot on the Patriots throat and then letting them get away nothing about being in the middle of the most stunning tank job in NFL history Not one reference. Not one mention. Nothing. I'm waiting. Give me some credit. I got all day. All day. Let me hear it. No, nope, nope. When I think about that guy, that's not what I think about. Unlike all of you. No. When I think of Matt Ryan, the first thing I think of, and the last thing I think of, my memory, my thought of Matt Ryan, starts and ends with him telling his teammates to get, well... To get in their respective positions so they can proceed with the play.
2: Carrying their whims. The
1: oh. That's what I'm talking about. You all keep going back to resetting, hammering this guy about the Super Bowl in 28 to 3. Not me. I'm all about this guy leading from the front. I'm all about this guy making sure everybody and everything around him is in the right place at the right time. Carrying their whims. Ooh. ooh, ooh! In case you're missing it, he's telling his guy/slash guys get effing set. Get. Ooh. Why do you think they call this guy Matty Ice? Hey, chalk. Now that I'm wrapping up this open, my vamp get bleeping set. Get. Hey, Alvin. Here, here. I have a no, trico no, no. live read coming up. You know what you need to do, Alvin? Oh. Rit. I'm already furious with your act today. Mm. Here's some advice for you, Rit. Oh. All you. All you on the other side of the glass. Hey big head, wherever the hell you live and work and whatever the hell you do once a week, you head. Oh. Clones, what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. You want beef, pure and simple. Where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper Beef Jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky, shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper Beef Jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for its relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings quality smoked meat at its finest it goes with you wherever you go to the game to the gym to the beach so look for old trapper in the clear view bag you can see the quality you're buying look for it in major retail stores near you clones if you do not see it ask for it by name because no other jerky compares old trapper what's your beef shaheen Hallway is their coach he is our guest shaheen great to have you on how are you I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Jim. Appreciate it. it's so good to have you on. I appreciate you, too. So this time last week, you were coming off a conference championship, getting ready to face Kentucky. Now you're in the Sweet 16. You're at the center of the best story in all sports. The nation is in love with you and your team. I've got to ask, Shane, what have the last few days been like for you, and how much has your life changed from last Tuesday to this Tuesday?
3: Man, it's been been a whirlwind. It's kind of all over the place. Um, You know, I have to tell you the truth, man. I'm I'm just really excited for – You know, my players and the students here at St. Peter's in the community. You know, it's been such a crazy time the last two years. A lot, you know, with COVID and everything, just, just a breath of fresh air.
1: Yeah, I mean, the thing, it really is a breath of fresh air. It's so great to see the games and to see people back in the stands and then to see what you're doing. Like, people have heard this story, but I want to be very clear about this. You have one of the smallest budgets in Division One basketball. <laughs> it's one of the toughest jobs in the game, but you're in the Sweet 16 after beating one of the all-time Blue Bloods and one of the best mid-majors. Cheyenne, here's my question. I mean, does it feel like it's a great story to you and you're this great Cinderella? Or are you and your dudes just going out and doing what you all do?
3: You know what, to tell you the truth, you know, you just said it. You know, we just going out doing what we, we do. You know, to everybody else, it's a Cinderella story. To everybody else, it's great. And don't get me wrong, it's great. But, you know, this is what we do. Like, we just go out there and just and just hoop, Jim. Like, we don't worry about the name on the front of the jersey. We just go out there, the guys just have fun. We do what St. Peter's do, and then we get after it. That's it.
1: Shaheen Holloway, my guest. Now, that doesn't mean, though, that people aren't right when they say it's a hard job. It's a really hard job that you took, one of the Uh, toughest jobs in college basketball. So my question is, why then take that job? What made you feel like you could have success in that spot?
3: You know what? I'm a competitor, right? You know, um, my whole career as a player, as a coach, people telling me, you can't do this, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. I always, always bet on myself. Always. Um, and when you and when you, when you better yourself, you know, things happen the way you want them to happen. You know, I I I vision myself being in this, this position years and years and years ago, right? I picked the work in. You know, I was assistant coach for 13 years. You know, I thought, you know, I was ready. And when the opportunity came, it was close to home. I didn't have to move. I knew it was going to be tough. Tell you the truth, I didn't know it was going to be that tough, but I knew it was going to be tough. But I, I believed that I could do it, and, you know,
1: and now we're here. So what's it feel like? Like, you visualized it. You put in the time. You always believe in yourself. You bet on yourself. That bet's paying off. So it's all come to fruition. And you're not done yet, by the way. But it's coming to fruition. Does it feel the way you thought that it would?
3: No. I'm, to be honest with you, I don't, I don't have the feeling yet. Like, I'm, I'm numb. Right? Because everything happening is happening so fast and so quick. You know, you, you win a conference championship. Then, you know, you got a selection Sunday. You, know, you get you get know, all excited about that. Then you find out you're playing Kentucky, right? <laughs> right, And then, and then you know, you got a couple of days of practice and you, you leave and now you're down there at the NCAA tournament and then media and this and that and this and you play. And then you win and then you get ready for the next game. Then you win. Then you come back home and there's like nonstop. So I really haven't got a chance to really even think about what we did yet. And I think that's good for my guys because I, I don't want them to think about it yet. I want them to still be in the moment and still be hungry if they want to go out there and prove themselves.
1: Yeah, it's an amazing response, Shaheen, in the sense that people always talk about how it's a whirlwind or it hasn't sunk in. But the fact is, it's a whirlwind and it hasn't sunk in, right? There's like so many things happening, so many amazing intense things happening so quickly that I would imagine, you're right, it hasn't sunk in. I'll tell you what I've been struck by. Time and time again, your players do not blink. They don't flinch. They don't take a step back. They never seem to panic in the pressure-packed moments. How do you explain that? Like, how much of that is innate and natural and then how much of that is what you and your staff have taught them?
3: Well, you know what? I'll be honest with you. You know, that's you know, that's who I was as a player. That's who I am as a person. I don't, you know, I don't back down on things. But I I love the challenges. I recruited guys for that reason. So like, if you want to come play for me, like you got to be mentally tough. You know, you, you got to love the game of basketball, and you got to want to be, be coached. You know, I coach with passion. I coach with heart. So I want guys like that. I want guys to not be afraid of the moment. You know, so when you know, last week when I was asked that question about Murray State and those guys being physical and trying to bully us. I was like, no, no, this, like my guys ain't backing down. I got guys from the East Coast, New York, I got guys from New York, New Jersey. These guys ain't backing down to nothing. They don't back down to me. So you think that cause they're going back down to somebody else? (laughs)
1: It literally was one of my favorite quotes in a long, long time that I've got guys from New Jersey and New York City. We're not backing down. Explain this for those who are outside the area. Like, how would you describe basketball players from New Jersey and New York City? What kind of toughness does it take to succeed as a baller and a hooper in Jersey and the city?
3: Well, you know what? There's so many good players in this area, right? Um, So, like, literally you have to have some type of toughness, some type of swag to, to play. That's how competitive it is around here. And there's so many people that are so close to each other, meaning, like, the same skill set. So if you don't go out there and give it your all and play 110%, like you're going to get, get embarrassed around here. You know, so when people take that person, they, they got pride. And that's what I like about this area. Like, I got, these kids have a lot of pride. Like, they wasn't going out there to get blown out. They wasn't going out there to just be happy just to be in a tournament. Like, these guys were going out there to try to prove themselves. I got guys on my team that, in their mind, Now, I'm going to say this, in their mind, they think they they belong at Kentucky.
1: (laughs) Dude, no, I understand exactly what you're talking about. And if you find five or seven or 12 or 15 of those guys who feel like they've been overlooked and they take it all personally and they've got that giant chip on their shoulder, man, you can take on and overcome a lot of stuff, right?
3: Absolutely, and that's what what this team, you know this, this team played with a tremendous chip on their shoulder. I got 15 guys that, They get recruited that did not get recruited highly. Some of them didn't have any scholarships, you know, and, you know, they take take that personal. And that's something that, you know, I instilled in them as well. You know, I got six guys that's been with me from day one. And those guys understand who I am and I understand the culture of this team.
1: And that's what they they take on the court. Right. So, Shaheen, you were not that guy, though. I mean, you were that guy. Don't get me wrong but you were a great player. You were a three-time all-Big East selection at Seton Hall, so you weren't necessarily that guy who was overlooked, or did you feel like you were that guy coming up? Like, how have you maintained that ferocity and intensity when you had that really good college career as a player?
3: Well, you know, I kind of was that guy from my height, right? I'm 5'10", right? And when you're 5'10", you know, people always say, well, you can't do this because of this. You can't do this because of that. So to me, I took that as, you know, okay, I'm going to show you. So I always had that competitiveness, always had that fireness in me to prove myself. And at every level, high school, college, playing overseas, playing pro basketball, and now even coaching. Right? I have that same, same fiery coaching. Like, I want to be a good coach. I don't want to be one of those people where, you know, when I was assistant, people like, oh, he's going to be a good assistant. He can't be a good head coach. Oh, he's going to be a good recruiter. Like, no, I'm going to show you I could be good at everything I do. It work into it.
1: So do you think, in your personal opinion, can you dominate anything without taking it at least personally to a certain extent? I mean, it, don't all the great ones take it personally? I mean, think about it, Jim. Think
3: about, think about you. Think about your show. Think about where you came from. Think about all the shows that you've been on. It's a competitiveness. It's like you competing against someone else who's doing the same thing you do. So you have to have that competitiveness. You have to have that fireiness. You, you have to have that passion on what you're doing in order to be successful.
1: Correct. Correct, man. Why do you think I asked you that question? I wanted to hear it again. 100%. I, I mean, in every single walk of life, Shine. you know this. Of course, the great ones take it personal. Of course, they have a chip on their shoulder. How the hell do you think you get up every single morning and go to battle without taking it personal or having at least some sort of a chip on your shoulder? I've never understood that. Like, they're really gifted people, really smart people, really talented people. But if you're going to grind and stay in the fight for a long time, I really think you have to have that chip. You have to. 1,000%.
3: 1,000%. And, and people, people understand, they did get it mixed up. It's not a cockiness. It's not a confidence. It's just something that you out there every day fighting. Think about it, man. Think about the industry I'm in and the industry that, that you're in. This, this coaching business is, 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 is backstabbing. The industry that you're in is backstabbing. So you've got to come up every day with fresh new ideas to keep, to keep the people's attention. That's it, well, dude. Well, oh, I've got to do the same thing with my players. I've got to keep my players. So I've got to have a certain edge.
1: Exactly right. It's it's ruthless too. And to your point, it's, it's it's not arrogance and it's not cockiness. And by the way, also having a chip on your shoulder does not mean you're a bad guy or a bad person. It means you're hungry. It means you want to battle. Yeah. It means you want to compete. This is why I wanted to talk to you, man. I just I love not to go cat on you, but I like that energy. I love this energy. All right,
3: so let no, me ask you. I love your you. energy. Like I I'll be honest, with you. like I I I watch your show. Like you bring that fire. Man. And and I, I tell you the truth, like I'm not just saying it because I'm with you right now. Like, if you don't have that, and I tell my players this all the time, if you don't have, it's so funny, if you don't have the, the passion and the juice, how can you play the game of basketball? How can you play the game of life? Seriously, think about it. So many people could do what we could do. What's going to be the difference between us and somebody else? You have to play with energy. You have to
1: have energy in life. I was just going to say my favorite line thus far was you. How can you play the game of life without that energy, without that juice? That's amazing. Hey, not, hey, my man, not to wreck this moment by asking you this, but, you know, I have a job to do along with all this juice. The Seton Hall job is open because Kevin Willard, who worked with you at Seton Hall or who you worked with at Seton Hall, is going to Maryland. He said he would love if you were the next coach there. Listen, I understand you have a lot on your plate right now. You have responsibility to the people you do work with. You have responsibility to your players right now. But this is a lot and something else that's swirling around. How are you approaching all that Seton Hall talk?
3: I'll be honest with you, Jim, I'm not even, I'm not even thinking about that right now. The only thing i think about right now is winning today in practice. Because if we win today in practice, then we are going to win Friday. So the only thing that matters right now is me and my guys and getting ready to go out there and shock the world again Friday night.
1: That's right, it. I get that. Alright, so one last thought. What about Friday night? You're gonna face Purdue. It's in Philadelphia. That's roughly ninety miles from campus. What kind of a crowd and vibe and atmosphere, Shaheen, are you expecting that night?
3: I, mean, I hope is great, right? I mean, you know, you know, it's, it's close, you know, New Jersey, New York, the Charter area has been very good to us. They've been, you know, behind us. I hope I hope I hope is great because like this is a one in a lifetime moment for these kids. Think about this for a second. Saint Peter's is playing Friday night in the NCAA tournament in the Sweet 16. Wow. Right? Like serious. Like think about that, man. And that's what I want these guys to understand. Live in this moment. Do not wake up from this dream. Keep dreaming.
1: Well, I've been thinking about it. I'm in awe of that moment. That's why I was so pumped that you and I were able to come together. It is an incredible thing. I've done this a long, long time, and I've always said, Shaheen, that the NCAA tournament is my favorite event in all sports. And I've seen some people do some pretty amazing things in that tourney. I'm not sure I've ever seen what we're seeing from your school and you're not done yet. So, yeah, I, not only can I think about that for a minute, I've been thinking about that nonstop. So have a tremendous week. It is awesome to talk to you, awesome to feel the energy, and we will all be watching come Friday night, my man. Good luck.
3: Man, Jim, I appreciate you, man. Keep doing what, what you're doing, man. You know, I, I love it. And thank you guys for having me on. I really appreciate it. I
1: appreciate you so much. Oh, yeah, I love that sound. That is the sound. Of another sale on Shopify, the all in one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. What Shopify does is it gives entrepreneurs the resources that were once reserved for big business so upstarts, startups, and established businesses alike can sell everywhere, synchronize online and in person sales, and effortlessly stay informed. Scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility. Listen, I know where we started and where we are right now, and I do not plan on stopping there. Because success is a million milestones on a forever evolving path. And Shopify has the tools and resources that make it easy for any business to succeed from down the street to around the globe. Do this for me. No, do this for you. Go to Shopify.com Rome all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. You have to try this. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com R-O-M-E. That's shopify.com Rome, R-O-M-E, all lowercase. Do it. Check it out. So according to reports, something went down in Miami last night. I mean, it's Miami, right? Something always goes down in Miami. However, this something... Apparently, allegedly, reportedly, Covington, Masvidal too. Details are still a little fuzzy, but apparently something went down. Apparently there was some sort of confrontation. We don't know to what point it may or may not have escalated, but something went down apparently between Colby Covington and Jorge Masvidal outside of a steakhouse in Miami. Here is what we know for sure. This much we know. This much is documented. This much is a fact. Covington and Masvidal hate each other's guts. We know that. Now more than ever, getting into the cage did not take the edge off that feud. It only dumped gasoline on it. And from the sounds of it, it went to a new level last night on the sidewalk. Maybe. Possibly. Now here's what's known. Sort of. Covington was dining at Poppy Steak last night. And there was footage of him on Instagram with somebody calling him, quote, the king of mother-bleeping Miami, end of quote. And they tagged that video with, at Poppy Steak is the spot. So somebody's calling him the king of mother-bleeping Miami, And they're saying where they are. Then apparently after dinner, Covington gets into a fight. You know, classic nightcap stuff. Have a nice steak dinner, cap off the night by getting punched in the face. Allegedly. You know, have a nice steak dinner, cap off the night by losing a tooth. Allegedly. TMZ reports that, quote, sources say, as Colby was leaving the restaurant after dinner, Masvidal allegedly attacked him outside. End of quote. So Covington is having dinner. One of the people he's with tags his location on Instagram. And then as he's leaving, Masvidal shows up and then shows Covington them hands. Allegedly. Now, I don't know who the sources were for the report. I don't know what happened, or if anything at all. We've all been waiting on video. I just saw another piece of video where Jorge's being held back. Right now, we really don't know what happened. We don't know what went down. But the most amazing thing about this is not that Covington, Masvidal, too, went down allegedly on the sidewalk. It's the fact that until a few moments ago, there was no footage at all of it. And there's still not good footage. But the most amazing thing of all in 2022 is that there may have been a fight outside of a restaurant, much less between two guys who are paid to fight and are as good as some of the best in the world, and nobody's got any footage. Wild to me that in 2022, when everybody is walking around with a full-blown production studio in their back pocket, that nobody was rolling on that fight. If, in fact, there was a fight. And again, there's some kind of sketchy footage now, but not what you'd expect. Not what you'd expect from a super hot spot in a town like that, where a couple of guys like that come together. Now, according to TMZ, police took a report on the scene, but as of this morning, no charges had been filed against either guy. So again, I'm not sure how big of a deal this is or isn't. Is it a big deal? Maybe. Is it not a thing at all? Maybe. Maybe. Hard to know. The CEO of Masvidal's management company tweeted, quote, I'm hearing that a someone not from Miami who says he's the king of it is missing a tooth. Can someone confirm this? I need the video ASAP. End of quote. Yeah, my guy, I need that video too. He then chased it a couple hours later with another tweet that read, and I quote, Dentistry, beautiful art. End of quote. (laughs) Amazing. I repeat, I also need that video. Does anybody have any video of any of this? Did Covington lose a tooth? Did he need to make an emergency trip to the dentist? Someone Did anybody get the footage of any of that? Meantime, apparently there was footage of the aftermath with the police present. And Covington appears to be saying, quote, he's over here swinging, trying to come at me. And I ran. You hear that? You can kind of make that out. Alvin, do that again. He's over, here swinging, to He's over here swinging, trying to come at me, and I ran. And then Covington was trying to figure out how Masvidal even knew where he was. And the response was, quote, I don't know. You're all over the Internet.
3: How would you know I'm here? How would not know you're all over
1: the Internet. Look, I'm all over the Internet. You're all over the Internet. Speaking of all over the Internet, Masvidal himself posted this video last night. And then he tagged Covington in it.
4: Calling this uh, show your face challenge. You know, um, what's up? I'm from Dade County. You talked. to, you got to back it up. That's how my city rolls, man.
1: So there you go. You have that new challenge. The new show your face challenge. The show your face challenge. Like, show your face. Because you know I broke it. So show it. And then be sure to tag the dude of the face that you allegedly broke and no clones i do not need to hear from other participants in the show your face challenge a pineapple factory did not issue the show your face challenge to norv turner before it exploded damn rome i was gonna do that yeah i know i know You've been doing that for 25 years. I know you were going to do that. I also do not care to hear from the nail gun factory and the fact that it hit EJO with the show your face challenge. That also did not happen. Damn it, Rome! We can't do anything anymore! No, I'm not saying you can't do anything. I'm just saying don't do those two things. Now, I know it's not going to do me a hell of a lot of good to say it, but I'll just say it anyway. Don't do it. Don't do it. Now, I don't know exactly what did or did not happen. If this did happen, it's like the least surprising thing ever. After losing to Covington in the cage, Jorge flat out said if he sees Covington in the streets, quote, this idiot talked about my kids. He's still a guy. If I saw him in the streets, I'm going to give him everything I got to break his bleeping jaw. End of quote. Like, here's the thing. I get it. I get that these two dudes absolutely hate each other. All you had to do was listen to Masvidal when he was on this show a couple of weeks back to hear how much he hates Covington.
4: The guy's uh, a charlatan, and I can't wait to expose him come March 5th, you know. He says a lot of the same things that I say about him, he says about me. But yet, nobody in this sport is talking bad about me like that. There's nobody in the sport that I owe money to. There's nobody in the sport that that's going around saying I'm a two-faced piece of crap but him. The one that everybody... It's not just me. If it was just me and him having this bickering thing, whatever, right? But there's numerous athletes in the combat world that'll tell you the same thing. Ask Woodley how he feels about um, Kobe, even after the fights and all that. Ask John Jones. Ask numerous wrestling coaches and wrestlers from the wrestling community before Kobe came over to MMA what they think about this individual, you know? So he used to freak in a lot of spots to eat at back in the day. And when we were having the turbulence, um, when it first started that he was going public about it, I just started going to these places to see if I could just have a heart, the heart with him face-to-face. Guess what? He'd stop going to those places once he found out I was looking for him, you know? So I definitely believe he's a coward.
1: So I don't know if Jorge was looking to have another face-to-face with him last night. Or heart-to-heart, I should say. But he did know where he was and he found him. And I'm guessing Jorge probably hates him more now than ever before since Covington did get over. I mean, it it has got to kill Jorge that Covington talked all that junk and then backed it up and won. And then hearing him get called the king of mother-bleeping Miami. Knowing Jorge the way I know Jorge... That also was a reason to go, listen, you know I love this guy. You know this is a huge Masvidal house. I love his story. I love our conversations. I've made that so clear. I love the guy. Part of the reason I love the guy is how he came up. And of course, I didn't come up like that. This dude is running on a completely different fuel than the rest of us. And I'm sure there's a code to the streets, especially those streets, that none of us would ever, ever understand. But if it sounds like I'm setting it up for a butt. It's because I'm setting it up for a butt. I love Jorge, but you can't attack a guy on the street when he's coming out of a restaurant. I don't care how much you hate that guy. I mean, you just can't do it. And it doesn't matter that Jorge said that he would do it. Like, you can't say, well, I said I was going to do it. So don't be surprised when I did it. You can't just say, I warned the guy and he should stay the hell out of Miami or this is what's going to happen. You can't say, I didn't ambush the guy. I said I would do it. I told everybody I would do it, and then I did do it. It's not a good enough rationale. There was a time and place, and I hate to say it. I hate to say it because I really was pulling for the guy, but the time and place was in the cage. And it sucks for Jorge that Covington got over, but he did. If you want to settle it, get back in the cage. You got to fight the guy in the octagon, not outside of a steakhouse. But I'll give Jorge credit for one thing. At least it was not inside the steakhouse. Now that would have been some video. Imagine Jorge going upside Colby's face with a 12-ounce ribeye. Colby fish-hooking Jorge with a tomahawk. The mat. Restaurant floor stained with chimichurri and gremolata. Colby spitting aioli in Jorge's eyes. Then choking him out with a porterhouse around the neck. Jorge, my guy, dude. I love you. I do. From one friend to another, crack open one of your bottles of mezcal. Still have mine. Thank you very much. Stuff your face with some garlic mashed and use this as fuel for your next match. And now a message from Discover about customer service and common sense. When you have credit card questions, it is nice to have them answered by a real person. You know, somebody who can actually understand your issues and work to resolve them. In other words, what you do not need is a robot. And that's why Discover offers helpful U.S.-based representatives available 24-7. No wonder we call it live customer service. Discover, exceptionally common sense. Tommy Lloyd. Tommy, it is so good to have you on. Tommy, I've got to say I've been looking forward to this conversation for quite some time. How are you and how is life for you as a head coach of a number one seed heading into the Sweet 16?
0: Well, well, Jim, it's it's great to be a guest. You know, I'm a a long-time listener, first-time guest here. So, uh, you know, grew up listening to you in Spokane all those years. I was uh, originally an XR4TI card-carrying member. Um, and then somehow you guys got canceled in Spokane, so I never heard heard, heard again.
1: That so, uh, is absolutely incredible. A- an original XR4Ti card-carrying member, Tommy. Yeah. That is great. I wish i had known well, that you yeah. lost the program. I would have found a way to get you the content. But I'm glad that I can have a conversation <laughs> with you right now. Yep. So, how you living? How are things?
0: You no, know, things are good. Things are good, man. I'm just, uh, you know, just taking it all in. It's been a great journey. You know, I obviously. A lot has happened in my life the last, you know, 12 months. You know, I had been at Gonzaga for 22 years and was extremely happy and, you know, living a great life. And then I got the opportunity to come down here and just wrap my arms around it and kind of taking it one day at a time. And uh, we've got a great group of dudes and uh, it's been a ton of fun.
1: All right. So when you talk about a great group of dudes, can you kind of describe for me or define for me what a dude is? Because I know, like, you know a dude when you see a dude. And if you get enough dudes, you're going to be in a good spot, right?
0: Yeah, well, we got we got a lot of them, you know, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, Ben Matherin and Christian Cloak are getting the headlines for us. And, uh, you know, they're both young players who have come so far this last this past, you know, 12 months. I mean, they, uh, you know, they have had had some previous experience last year and got some some good playing time and uh, and some good coaching. And then this year they were ready to take off. And then so, you know, we poured everything we could into them and they've been great. And then, you know, we also got dudes like Dalen Terry who's got swag and, you know, plays, you know, extreme confidence and effort. And Kirk Kresa, you know, who's out there and getting the crowd hyped up and having a ton of fun. And, and uh, we have a Lithuanian guy, my poor man, Savonis, Azulis Tabelas, you know, who's a lefty big guy who who finds a way to get things done in the paint. So it's just been a a really fun group of guys to work with, and and I really appreciate everything they've been able to give us all year.
1: What a great description. Tommy Lloyd joining us. I could ask you about any one of those guys, Tommy. I'll pick my spots. Ben Matherin, he is something else, man. He has got so much it, and he just kind of oozes it. But you also made the point that he's got, quote, that clutch gene. How would you define that gene, and when did you first see it in him?
0: Well, you know, he he, obviously Ben came in, you know, he, he, you know, get a lot of, you know, banter and and, and talk about, you know, his potential and he showed some of it last year, you know, but last year, you know, he played a lot out of the corners, you know, didn't get to handle the ball much and, you know, and then really needed to develop there this year. So we spent a lot of time with him in the off season, trying to help him make decisions and get in the flow of the offense and being in the middle of the floor. And, and he's just, uh, he really impacts the game, you know, uh, offensively, at, at all levels, and um, and it's been so much fun to watch him grow and develop. The biggest thing I noticed with him this year, you know, when when we hit those tough spots, he's not scared, and he's the first guy in the huddle saying we ain't gonna lose, you know. And 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 then you know what he does? He bats it, and he goes up, he goes out, and he makes a play, you know. And he and he did that numerous times, you know, in our games against TCU. And uh, you know, without him playing like that down the stretch, you know, I'm not on the radio with you right now.
1: Talking to Tommy Lloyd, you mentioned TCU. Tommy, of course, Jamie Dixon. He's got some gaucho roots in him because I went to UCSB and he was an assistant on that staff with Ben Howland. So I know Jamie a little bit. But what about what you learned about your team? Like, you know what you have. You have great length. You have great athleticism. But the grit that your guys showed, TCU just would not stop, man. They just kept coming. They kept coming. They kept coming. How much did you learn about your team in that win?
0: Well, you know, I I learned what I already knew, you know, just just to reaffirm it for me that, that, you know, we can be relentless too and we don't have any quit in us. You know, we were up nine and I felt like we were kind of getting control of that thing, you know, late in the second half. And then sometimes as it happens in those NCAA tournament games, it slips away from you. And, and, you know, and then a lot of times it's hard to, to pull it back in and, and so I'm really proud of our guys. You know, I mean, you know, Dalen and Terry made a clutch three, you know, in transition in the corner. And he's not necessarily known for being a great three-point shooter. You know, we scrapped out some boards, you know, that just, just kind of allowed us to hang in there. And, uh, you know, I think we were down three with a minute to go. And then we found a way to, to hang in there and give ourselves a chance. And then that's all you can ask for sometimes.
1: And you guys were re- relentless. Tommy, you talk about toughness. Kirk Carissa played nearly 27 minutes on Sunday, which was incredible given how his ankle looked a few days back. What did it mean to you and everybody else to have him back and promptly take a charge nearly the moment he stepped on the floor?
0: Yeah, I mean, he, he, that's him. I mean, he's, uh, he's a scrapper deluxe. And uh, you know he plays, and he plays with his heart and his emotions on his sleeve, and and he's our emotional leader. And, and just to get him back, in, out of there. And what I loved is he walked out on the court, and without even doing anything, he started waving his arms, you know, to the crowd to get up and get into the game. And uh, you know, you need that spirit, and that energy. You know, basketball is a game, you know, that's played best with emotion. And, uh, and and he's our emotional leader. And you know, I think he was one for ten from three. You know, which I don't think, I don't know if that'll happen very often. And uh, and you know, but I think he had like a plus. 24 plus minus in like you know those 27 minutes so scoring three points and having a plus minus like that shows you what he means to our team
1: we're talking to tommy lloyd i'm just jumping around a little bit tommy but i had kevin Sampson on the show about a half hour ago he was talking about how well coached your team is how fluid you guys are offensively so when you watch film on houston what do you see i mean again
0: i'll pay him the same compliment they're they're extremely well coached and well drilled i mean it's uh you know they 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 max out everything in the effort areas and and that's impressive because that's not easy to do. So you know anytime you're going to play a Kelvin Sampson team, you know you're going to be in a bare knuckle boxing. It's what it's going to come down to, and uh, and it's going to be a game where if you can't match them in the toughness areas, you're probably not going to win. So um, you know he's done an incredible job there, and uh, you know obviously we know we got a formidable opponent. You know, in San Antonio on Thursday, and we're just going to go down there and give it everything we got.
1: You know, if I'm not mistaken, he said the exact same thing about you. He used that exact same phrase. They're well-drilled. Tommy Lloyd is my guest. You know, Tommy, you mentioned your time in Gonzaga and how you had such an amazing time there. You and I could have a whole conversation about that. But I'm curious, what did you take from that experience and your time with Mark Few that you've applied to your approach in the tourney? Yeah. You're your own guy, of course, but what did you take during that time to come this time of year, a tournament time that you can use now?
0: Well, you know, just, you know, having been around Fuey for, you know, 22 years like I was, you know, you, you probably, you learned a lot by just osmosis. And, uh, you know, and obviously he and I are really close. I mean, our families are best friends. Our kids are more like cousins than, uh, than friends, you know. So um, we're extremely tight. And I, I just think you, you learned how to, you know, first, be a class individual. That's number one. Second, you know, your, your job is to make sure your players play with maximum confidence in those moments. So what can you do to build them up? Because, you know, you're, you're, you're playing under uh, a microscope, you know, there's a ton of scrutiny and, and you want your guys to go out and play loose and, and, and free and, and, feel like they can be themselves. And so, you know, to just, I just learned all that stuff from him and, and just the way he treated players, you know, especially leading up to games. I mean, it was all about, you know, going out on the court, being able to give max effort and max confidence and, uh, and making sure no one's uptight.
1: I mean, Tommy, there's a lot of talent on this, on this roster, but th- what you've accomplished is amazing. This is not an easy thing. Like, when you arrived, the program, of course, was in a tough spot due to an NCAA investigation. COVID was still an issue throughout the country. Eight guys had entered the transfer portal. Never mind how did you do this, but how did you even approach this?
0: I mean, day-to-day. You know, I mean, uh, day-to-day. I'm not a huge master plan guy. I mean, obviously, you, you kind of know the direction you want to take things, but I just tried to make one good decision and then stack it up and follow with another good decision. And uh, I mean, I felt like that's all I could do. Um, You know, I think sometimes if you get too far out ahead of yourself, you might skip steps and, um, and, 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 really not be as agile and, and, and mobile as you need to be, you know, throughout the, the building process. So I wanted to remain agile. And, and, you know, when I, when I saw something, I thought needed my attention, I wanted to be able to take my attention there. I didn't want to have many blind spots. So um, it's been a ton of fun. I mean, listen, I'm literally sitting at Ludolfson's desk right now. I mean, you, you got to be freaking kidding me, you know? So um, sometimes you got to step back and pinch yourself, you know? But then the next thing you know how to do, you got to hit yourself upside the head and act like you know what you're doing. So um, it, it, it's been awesome. And we love Tucson. And, you know, I love my years at Gonzaga and I'm thankful, you know, for those years because I think they've helped prepare me for this. And I, and I look forward to having a, hopefully a long-term great future here in Tucson.
1: It's amazing. Before you go, Tommy, the the Arizona family, like, it's an amazing family. And this goes way, way back. I can remember when Lute was there and they were going to the Final Four and I would have guys on. And, I mean, every alumni feels like they've got the strongest alumni. You come from a program that has such amazing tradition now and pride. But what about that U of A family, that Wildcat family? Can you put into words what that's like exactly now to be a part of that family?
0: they've been amazing, you know, um, you know, they've welcomed me with open arms, you know, uh, I've got great relationships, you know, I mean, you know, y- yesterday I did Tom Tolbert's show and he talked about a character and a great guy and, you know, and in constant contact with Steve Kerr and, and all these guys and, uh, and just all the former players and the alumni and, and the boosters have been amazing and, and just welcoming us here and letting us do our thing and kind of letting us build it. You know the way we want to build the program, and they've been 100% supportive. So, you know, I'm, I'm a I'm a lucky guy. There's no doubt about that.
1: Tolbert's one of my best friends in the world. There's nobody like him. He's Tolbert's the guy, Tommy, that not only came to my wedding, but was back in our wedding suite and emptied the in-room mini bar, drank all the liquor in it the <laughs> night we got married. So, I, I know what you're talking about. And if you know Tolbert, that probably would not surprise you at all.
0: That that's definitely par for the course. And he told me he's gonna he wants to make me a craft beer drinker. And he said there's a lot he's gonna show me. He showed me some good craft beers. And I told him I didn't know there was such a thing. I just said you know I'm good with a a good cold PBR right out of a cooler, you know, and uh, so not trying to get tricky down here in Tucson.
1: My man, I appreciate that a lot. Tommy Lloyd's the head coach at Arizona, and they've got Houston coming up on Thursday. Tommy, I really, I mean this sincerely. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long, long time. It lived up to the hype. I really appreciate you. Great to have you on the show. Good luck on Thursday. Keep it going, and really nice to talk to you.
0: Okay. Thanks, Romy. Have a good
1: one. Clones, what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. You want beef, pure and simple. Where's the beef? It's in a package of... Pitt had a pro day. You know what that means, don't you? Pitt pro day was yesterday, which means it was going to be a huge day for Kenny Pickett. Reportedly, every team except for the Rams was there to see the quarterback prospect. Three GMs, two head coaches showed up in person. And they all made the trip for one reason. To get a look at them tiny hands. That's right. Time to break out the tiny hands alarm once again, tiny hands. Tiny hands. Tiny hands. Time to break it out because Pickett's tiny Muppet hands. mitts were the center tiny of attention hands. yet again yesterday. Tiny hands. Tiny hands. Yes, we do have an alarm for that too. We have an alarm for everything. Tiny hands. Tiny hands. Of course, NFL evaluators were there for more than just a hand measurement because literally every other part of their evaluation is more important than hand size, or it should be. But somehow, someway, the hand measurement ripped all the headlines, stole the show, dominated the headlines, and especially because Kenny's tiny paws actually somehow grew over the last two weeks. You heard that correctly his hands experienced a growth spurt in the last two weeks. If you remember now, those mini meat hooks measured in at 8.5 inches at the combine earlier this month. That gave him the smallest hands of any quarterback in the NFL. That also gave him the third smallest hand measurement at the combine since hands. And that was a month after Pickett refused to let them take a mitt measurement at the Senior Bowl because he said he wanted, quote, an extra couple of weeks to work on, quote, exercises. Which is pretty much like the best thing ever. I still can't get past him showing up to the gym to work on the length of his hands. You know, setting that early alarm, getting up with your trainer for two-a-days, three-a-days. Grinding out hand stretches. But apparently it works. And apparently he has not skipped a hands day at the gym in weeks. And it shows because yesterday when it came time to measure his mitts, they measured a whopping 8 and 5 eighths inches. It's incredible. My man has 8 and 5 eighths inch hands. Like I said, an incredible growth spurt over the past two weeks. He is hoping that this will once and for all put this total non-issue to bed. Your hand grew an eighth of an inch it, today. It did.
2: It did. It, it grew
1: from the whole start of the
2: process to, um, you know, working the stretches that I said I was going to be doing. So obviously they worked. But, yeah, just part of the process, I guess.
1: Is it is it something that bothers you, or do you feel like you put those questions to bed? Yeah,
2: hopefully put the questions to bed. You know, if people have more questions, I mean, don't know what else to say, what else to do. Um, but, yeah, it is what it is.
1: Like, what kind of questions would anybody still have? He just answered every last question. By growing his hands – An eighth of an inch in two weeks. What kind of questions are there? Go ahead and extrapolate that.
0: Uh, I hadn't really sort of extrapolated it that way. but
1: Well, let's go ahead and do it. Let's go ahead and extrapolate it that way. Raymond, my man, if he's eight and five-eighths right now, by the time the draft rolls around, he'll be at nearly nine inches. Dude will be past ten inches By the time week one rolls around, clearly, he's figured out the answer to his puny paw predicament. By the Super Bowl, my man will have a dozen inches. Obviously, I'm kidding, but big ups for putting in the work. My man grew his inches. Grew his hands, I mean. An eighth of an inch. Could this be any more worthless or meaningless? Like that eighth of an inch is going to make or break this guy as a prospect. In fact, after the draft next month, I'm pretty certain that we will never ever talk about these tiny little freak paws ever again, at least until the next set of mini mitts comes through the draft. Once again, I've got to remind you all in this case, size does not matter. Size does not matter. NFL evaluators also found out yesterday that he doesn't just have tiny hands. My man also has double-jointed thumbs. Like, that's got to count for something, right? That's got to counteract the mini mitts, right? Cue the freak thumb alarm, Alvin. If we're going to wrap a guy for tiny hands, shouldn't he get run or credit for special thumbs? Like... Oh great Alvin, just, just pull your generic alarm and then and call that the freak thumb alarm. I'll wait for it. Is this gonna evolve in anything? Yeah, I didn't think. It's just incredible it's incredible to me, I should say, that anybody cares about this stuff. Like, there's a reason the dude is considered one of the top quarterbacks in the draft class. It's got nothing to do with his thumbs being double-jointed or his hands being miniature. Like, my guys Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks both think that he's the best quarterback in the draft. So the tiny hands are big enough for guys like that, authorities like those two. But not big enough for the amateur evaluators and low-rent comedians on Twitter. The tiny hand Twitter truthers are still acting like the guy can't fit a football in his hand. They're acting like he doesn't even have hands. Like he somehow started 49 games at Pitt and made it to New York as a Heisman finalist while running around with stumps on the ends of his arms. Like this guy doesn't even have hands or feet for that matter. He's just stumping his way around the field. And the worst of the tiny hand truthers are the ones making the stupid, immature cracks about dude's manhood. And how hand size inevitably relates to size of manhood. Which, of course, is just a low blow. Like, Kenny might just make you all pay for it. In the same way Joe Burrow has made people pay for saying all the same exact things when he came out. Now, I'm not saying that Pickett is the next borough. I don't think there is another borough. I'm just warning you to relax on the jokes because my dude, Kenny P, is one tough dude. We all found that out on this show back in October.
2: Yeah, I think it, it comes from a young age. My dad was a linebacker. I mean, he taught me everything I know. I know about the game, and uh, you know, in life, and just how to go about your business and, and playing this game. So I, I love to compete, and I think that the quarterback has to be the fiercest competitor on your on your team in order for you to be a championship level team. So that's just something
1: I want to bring every day. That's interesting. Do you feel like you got to be the toughest guy physically on the team as the quarterback? I think
2: so, man. There's a a lot of small, fine print that comes with the job that, you know, everyone wants the job and you step in there and you're taking, you know, a helmet under the jaw, under the chin strap. You know, it makes some people second guess the job, but it's something that I embrace and and I love it.
1: I like that. What else is in the the small, fine print that comes along with playing that position that we don't know about? (laughs)
2: I don't think we have enough time in this segment. It's a long list of things, but um, you know, at the end of the day, it's something that you have to embrace and, and take step by step, and you have a good cast of people around you that makes it easier.
1: Oh, so you hear a guy like that, right? He was on this show, and we had that conversation, and you're going to worry about the size of his hands. There you go. He was raised by a linebacker. He wants to lead by being the toughest guy in the room. So save your hand size, save your manhood size, save your jokes, I know you have lots of jokes, clones. None of them are funny. Save them all. I would say you're better than that, but I know you're not. He's not the dude from the BK commercial. Nobody needs to turn their backs while this guy tries to eat a burger. Whoa, guys, wrong turn. This is BK. Whopper Jr. is just a buck. Flamborough, fresh off the grill. But
0: I've got these tiny hands, and that big burger is going to make them look even tinier.
1: What if we all just turn our backs while you eat? Yeah, what if you do that? Or what if you stop making commercials like that and saying things like that? Kenny might have mini mitts, but he learned how to use them a long time ago.
0: Son, we've got tiny hands. Harper Jr. makes them look even tinier. I don't want a
1: big flame-broiled burger. I wanted a lot of things in life. But a man's got to play with the hands he's dealt. Well, there's a valuable lesson. Right, Ritt? A man's got to play with the hands he's dealt. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my guy Kenny has gotten pretty far with his so-called doll hands. Hopefully this is the last time I have to talk or think about those freakish little paws ever again. I'm not going to call any BS on any draft measurement listings. We went through this when Kyler Murray's height was in question. But I gotta say, how in the hell did he grow his hands that quickly? Is there a special hand stretching exercise? Is there a training regimen? Three sets of 20 finger pulls, knuck cracks to exhaustion? Are we talking about supplements that grow your fingers like Edward scissor hands? Is he dipping his hands into extremely cold water and then putting his hands in a sauna? Did he go night and day thumb wrestling to build thumb muscles? One, two, three, four. I declare thumb war. Houston v. Arizona, Thursday night in San Antonio. Kelvin Sampson is back. Kelvin, it is so good to have you back on the show. Kelvin, how are you?
5: I'm good, Jim. It's, uh, it's always good to be out with you. That means we're doing good.
1: Well, it's always good to have you on with me, and you are doing well. You're doing really well. In fact, i got to start, Kelvin, with that amazing postgame celebration after the win over to Illinois, one of the best ever where you ripped off your shirt. Kelvin, you tell me otherwise, but it seems to me that was clearly a reflection of how you feel about these guys and what they've overcome. What was that moment like for you with your team?
5: Well, that, that, that's right. Uh, I think two years ago, we had just beaten uh, Ohio State. Uh, that was the year he walked to Kentucky in c um, But after I did all the, the post-game interviews um, on the floor, I ran back to the locker room. As I was turning the corner. I just got blipped by uh, the Gatorade coolers, um, Gatorade coolers, water bottles, everything. But I had on a, a, a blue shirt and a red tie, and it just got soaked. And for some reason... When I saw that water, uh, I just got excited and I just, you know, just smashed my uh, shirt off and and um, but the kids seemed to get a kick out of it, so what the
1: hell? What the hell is right? Everybody did. Kelvin Sampson joining us. So you know, the team. This is three times now that you've been to a Sweet 16. You and I have talked over the years about building this program. What's it mean to you then to have gone to the Sweet 16 in three straight tournaments, given what you inherited and where you started?
5: Yeah, it, you know, it's, it, it's uh, gratifying, but it's it's one of those experiences, Jim, that can't be talked about without talking about uh, the, the people that that was in the trenches with you and. and it starts with uh, my son, Kellen, Cornish um, White, Casey Beard, uh, my assistant coaches, um, uh, the players that believed uh, in us before. It was kind of cool to be just Houston simply in this Um, You know, we stand on the shoulders of a lot of people. I mean, there's, I've had great kids, good players. You know, the two kids we lost this year were good players, but... Um, because my staff's so good, we've identified some other kids in the quarter, but just needed an opportunity to show people how good they were. So, um, it, it, it's gratifying, but I, I, I share it with my staff. I, I think that's the secret sauce to our success. And I've had a great staff here, and those guys are all, um, hopefully going to get opportunities to be head coaches soon because they deserve it. Um, and then we've identified and evaluated the right kind of kids that can play for us. And, And they've uh, they've all been awesome.
1: Kelvin Sampson joining us. So in terms of the players, Kelvin, I could talk about any number of guys. But Tay's more at a season high, 21 in the win over Illinois. You've said that he's the best college athlete you've ever coached. But at the same time, when he arrived from Cal State Bakersfield last year, quote, man, I wish you could have seen him in June. You talk about a fart in a skillet, Lord help me, end of quote. It's an amazing description. What was he like back in June, and how far has he come?
5: And just imagine getting at a kid's birthday party and blowing a balloon up as, as tight as it can be, and then turn it loose, you know, just goes in every direction, hitting the walls, banging back in the chairs, bumping kids in the head, it's just all over the place, he, he was he played like an athlete, not a basketball player, but he had this awesome, awesome, explosiveness and uh, athleticism about him that if we could just get him to um, uh, quit chasing three rabbits, just chase one. If you chase two or more rabbits, you, you probably won't catch any of them, but if you just chase one rabbit, you can catch him. So we, we worked on him being really good at uh, uh, being involved in coverage. And understanding the importance of that, why why we do it the way we do, and then the guy would understand post, feeding the post, and then cutting, uh, then offensive rebounding. It's almost like you took one phase of the game at a time, and he was such a fast learner, uh, and he's he so hungry to get better. Uh, so um, he's one of those kids who's easy to coach. We're fortunate that he came from a program that had a great coach in Odd Barnes at uh, South State Bakersfield. Um, but, you know, he missed two years because he had five different surgeries on his leg. So he was so far behind because of his injuries. And, and it was that was traumatic. Those were traumatic surgeries for him. And he got to the point where he wasn't sure he even where to play anymore. Uh, so he's, he's been through some adversity. But I think that you know any any of us that go through personal adversity, if we get up, if we just get up, just get up, and, and keep fighting, something good will happen. And that's why I'm so thrilled. And what you said earlier was true too, uh, Jim. Uh, part of that reaction after the game was um, how far these kids have come. You know, people wrote them off. It's December, late December, when we lost Marcus and Jemaine. Um, uh, and, and they and they just bonded together. You know, we had a great leader in Fabian White. Um, Josh Carlton was awesome. Transferred him from UConn. Uh, the team just came together. and um, I'm, We're on a bus right now, literally driving to San Antonio uh, for the game Thursday. And um, um, I, I just love this team. I love being around them. They're, they're great kids, high-character kids. They're easy to coach. and uh, It's just a pleasure to be with
1: them. Kelvin Sampson joining us. I like, Kelvin, what you just said about when you get hit with some adversity, if you can just get up and just fight, something good can come of that. I'm kind of curious. You and I have talked so much about life and what it's been like and the journey. I had Cheyenne Hallway on earlier in the program, and he talked about the fact that he always has this energy and he's always looking to prove something. Like, you've proven pretty much everything there is to prove, but I still feel like you have that energy and you're looking to prove something still. What is it?
5: Well, you know, sometimes we have to manufacture uh, our competitiveness and get ourselves going. I don't think I've ever had to do that. It you, uh, the way I was raised, um, um, my dad was a high school coach uh, doing segregation. Um, I, I witnessed some of the stuff that we had to go through. And, and when you have experiences like that early in your life, I think it puts a chip on your shoulder. When you you, you realize that you're the one that has to outwork everybody else in, in every facet of your your life. It is uh, uh, professional, whatever you you have to be the hardest worker. And I was 31 years old. I was a head coach at Washington State, and Lou Holtz went to Arizona, Mike Montgomery at Stanford, uh, George Halas at SC. Um, Bob Monson, and then Ralph Miller at Oregon State. Hmm. I remember going to my first head coaches' meeting. I, I didn't know whether to introduce myself to those guys or ask for the autographs. You I mean, I, almost almost had an inferiority complex. And I didn't feel like I belonged. Um, you know, I just thought, those, those guys are just giants in this industry and here I am this little an AI coach from Montana and an AI guy from North Carolina I think I just always kept that with me, you know, and that's uh, and I think that's helped me stay grounded and realize how lucky you are to have these jobs and that, you know, somebody else could come in here and do this just like I can because it's something like Shaheen Holloway. Nobody knew how great a coach he was until he got his opportunity. There's a lot of guys out there like that. I just happened to get mine, and it's lasted a long time, but... When I leave, somebody else will come in and get an opportunity, and I hope they never forget where they come from.
1: Kelvin Sampson joining us. Kelvin, one last thought, and I know you're on that bus. I've got Tommy Lloyd coming up in the next hour. When you look at his team, what sticks out to you the most?
5: Um, just how well-coached they are, how how grilled uh, and fluid they are on offense. You know, a lot of coaches like to run plays or sets. Uh, they plan a flow. Everything is a reed, and those are the hardest things to prepare for, because you don't know what to take away. Uh, that's number one. Then number two is the size. You know, they, they start Coloco's seven-foot, uh, seven-foot, uh, the 4 man six eleven, the oven They take out Coloco and put it in the seven-one-kid in Ballo. Um, and we haven't even started talking about uh, uh, Macklin, who's uh, an elite, elite, unique player sports at all three levels you know I was in the NBA for six years so I know what an NBA player looks like but he's an NBA starter he's going to start for whatever team he goes to and he's going to get better too he's you that kid's got a lot of improvement uh, in him and he, he may be the best guard in college basketball And teams on the left coast the west coast I, I've never felt like they've ever gotten the proper due. um I know that because I was a head coach in the strikes and then uh, at the time. Uh, but if he was his Kansas or Booth, he'd be the national player of the year. There's no doubt in my mind. Good night now.